0: Welcome to the Beyond Sunday Podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday Podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, the Director of Broadcast and Media Outreach here at First Baptist, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing great, Jordan. How are you, man? I'm great. I'm great. Yeah. Family's doing well? Family's doing really well. Little Isaac has discovered coloring, so he's got crayons oh. that he can doodle all over, books <laughs> inside the lines, outside the lines, all over the place. It's great. That's awesome. Yeah. That's how's, awesome.
1: How's your family? Well, we're chasing kids around basketball courts right now. Both of my, both of my son and my daughter uh, are playing basketball, and so we're watching high school basketball and fifth grade basketball at the same time, and I'm helping coach the fifth grade team, and so um, we're having a lot of fun with that.
0: That's great. So we're talking about the passage we looked at on sunday which is 2 peter 1 12-21 therefore i intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth that you have i think it right as long as i am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since i know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our lord jesus christ made clear to me and i will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So listeners, if you didn't hear, on Sunday Jeff shared from a 2017 LifeWay study that showed that the greatest predictor of positive spiritual health as an adult, is regular Bible reading while growing up. If you want to learn more about this study, you'll find links to the study itself and Jeff's message in today's show notes. So let's make it practical. How does a believer know what and how much to read in a day?
1: That's a great question, and it's a question that I've wrestled with throughout my adult life. Um, I would say the bottom line is this, read. (laughs) okay. Um, Whether that means you're picking up your Bible and flipping it open and just reading the page. I don't recommend that to be the case. I would recommend a more systematic approach, which is why at First Baptist Church every year, we try to follow a reading plan. And that is one of the things that I take uh, as my responsibility as the pastor of the church, is to find a reading plan to help guide us through the entire Bible over the course of a year. That's one way to do it. Uh, I find it very helpful. But over the course of my adult life, I've approached reading the Bible in several different ways, whether it was taking a single book and saying, I'm going to read this entire book. However long it takes, I'm going to read this entire book. Um, one question to always ask is, Is what's more important, quantity or quality? And I, I would say the answer is yes. Uh, what I mean by that is this, that... I think there's value in reading the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, reading it all the way through. I also think, uh, as my college pastor would have said, that there are times when it's important to linger longer with individual teachings, individual books, individual passages, um, so that there's a, a combination of taking in the entirety of Scripture, but also really ruminating on particular passages, praying through particular passages, you're not going to go wrong if you're reading God's Word. I think there are seasons when it's vitally important to take in more quantity, and I think that as you take in the quantity of Scripture, it's important to focus in on quality with regard to certain passages. So for example, I'll just tell you what I'm doing right now. I'm following our plan, and so I'm reading in Genesis right now. We're, we're going chronologically through the Bible. I'm also following uh, an individual worship devotional that um, guides me through other passages where I spend a little bit more time engaging thoughtfully and prayerfully with certain other passages. So, so it, it It can be both at the same time. And I would encourage any of our listeners, make time for the Word. And I'll tell you something that's vitally helpful, and that is that we live in a day and an age where if you have a smartphone, the same device through which you are listening to this podcast will read the Bible to you. And there have been seasons where I went and actually bought the Bible on CD mm-hmm. back, you know, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I kept those CDs in my truck. And part of the discipline was, when I'm in my truck, I'm listening to the Word. And that was very helpful. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So actually hearing the Word of God was very helpful for me. And you don't even have to go buy CDs now. You can download an app that will absolutely read the Bible to you for free. So I would encourage you. Get in the Word. God doesn't say you have to read this much per day, but uh, but I think it's important to to follow a systematic approach where you are taking in the Bible uh, and allowing God to speak to
0: your heart that way. Thank you, Jeff. Listeners, we'll have the Bible plan that we're going through listed in the show notes, and we'll have a link where you can download the U Version Bible app. It's very helpful. That's the one that I personally use. Me it, too. Yeah, with some of the translations, and I, I use the ESV. The Translation has an audio version where you can listen to it, like Jeff is saying, for free. So it's a free app that has free reading of the Bible where you can listen to it in your car.
1: You can, you can subscribe to the plan through Version. I always pick a plan that, that is available on Version, And all you have to do is click on plans. It will take you to the day you're on, tell you whether you're ahead, behind, or right on track, and pull the, pull the individual scripture passages up for you. So it is super helpful.
0: So let's look at the second Peter passage. Here Peter writes that he's making every effort so that after his departure his readers will be able to recall his teachings, which he emphasizes are not cleverly devised myths. So what's the story here? What's he talking about? Well, so Peter is writing
1: these things down. So so what is he doing? He's taking this oral teaching and he's writing it down on parchment. So that we will have it uh, long after his departure has come. He is writing uh, likely from Rome, likely sometime between 64 and 67 AD, and likely in prison awaiting execution. So he's dealing with persecution— and he's dealing with how to remain faithful in the face of persecution and his imminent death. Uh, Jesus had told him the day would come when others would lead him to where he did not want to go. And he is now in a place where that's happening. I mean, we're talking about three decades post-cross and resurrection. Peter is, is now uh, much more mature. He's much more developed but he is also addressing in 2nd Peter some false teachings. Now we don't know exactly who the false teachers were or what the false teaching was, but we know that it was undermining true Christ-centered theology. And it was undermining true Christ-centered ethics. And so what is he doing? He's writing to combat false teaching that would pull people away from the teaching of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ. He's writing so that believers, not only shortly after his death, but for us, approximately 2,000 years after his death, have a record of these teachings and can be reminded and stirred up to live out our faith. So, so he's saying that that when the scriptures are written down, both the Old Testament prophecies and the the the, the, the scriptures that are the New Testament scriptures, um, that these were not cleverly devised myths. Peter stood there and watched the transfiguration. You know, I'm getting ready to, Lord willing, lead a trip to Israel, and we're going to go to the Mount of Transfiguration, and I cannot wait. But to be in that place, to know this is where Jesus was, was resplendent in his glory, and, and we saw the, the, the pre-incarnate glory of Christ, and um, to have been able to see that was unbelievable. But what Peter is saying is this, through the word, through the prophetic word of God, um, what we have is even more sure than that vision that he saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, he's saying, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths. We saw these things and we have written them down so that you may know so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God. John would say in that by believing you would have life in his name.
0: In this passage Peter also speaks about prophecy and those who are carried along by the Holy Spirit. So can you briefly explain how prophecy works like what what why is Peter using this language?
1: Yeah, so Remember that, that it is God working through the Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Trinity, who is inspiring uh, the totality of Scripture. And so, again, I made the comment yesterday, sometimes we focus on red-letter editions of the Bible, um, and, and I, I like – every Bible I buy is a red-letter edition. I like it. Um, however – We have to be careful because the red letters aren't more inspired than the black letters. And the same Holy Spirit who inspired uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to recall the red letters inspired all the biblical authors to recall all the letters. So I think we have to be careful there. Um, Let me quote theologian Tom Schreiner who says, The Holy Spirit was the active revelatory agent working within the Old Testament prophets and through their lives and circumstances as they prophesied. Speaking of this verse in particular, Schreiner says, "...this is a key verse for the doctrine of Scripture, indicating that Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, men spoke God's words using their own personalities, knowledge, background, vocabulary, and style." The words they were carried along imply that the inspiration of Scripture was invisibly directed by the Holy Spirit, though without overriding the personalities of the human authors. Thus, Scripture is fully the Word of God, even though it is recorded in the words of human beings. The exact way in which this was accomplished is a divine mystery. What is true of Old Testament prophecy is true of all Scripture." I think Schreiner very helpfully delineates that it was the Holy Spirit working in the mysterious way in which God works to carry along these human authors, um, such that when in the Old Testament a prophet said, "'Thus saith the Lord.'" Then that was the Holy Spirit actively directing the words of that prophet that the prophet would write, quoting God, saying, this is what God has said. And you had to be very careful, because if you turned out to be a false prophet in the Old Testament, the consequence was death. So you don't want to go around saying God has said without God having said Um, And then again, what's so amazing to me is you look at the fact that the Bible was written by 40 authors on three continents over about 1,500, 1,600 years, and yet it all comes together. It's all a unified whole. Many of the authors of Scripture didn't know of the other books or of the other authors who were writing when they wrote. Uh, So that's evidence that the Holy Spirit inspired all of these writings. The, The Bible would say in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that All of Scripture is God-breathed. Literally, that's what inspired means. God breathed these words out through the human authors as he carried them along by his Holy Spirit. So that's how that works.
0: So a question that I had in thinking about all of these things is, if the Holy Spirit is upon us as believers, is there still prophecy today as there was in biblical times? Not as there was in biblical times because the canon is
1: closed. Um, the New Testament was written uh, by the apostles or those who wrote down what the apostles recounted to them. Um, so the office of apostle has come to an end. There's there's still the gift of apostleship because that word in the original language simply means sent. So there are some who are sent to provide leadership in various places, but the office of apostle is closed. And so there's no new biblical books being written. Uh, we do not add to the 66 books of scripture. That's why we would reject, say, for example, the Book of Mormon and and things of that nature. Um, So prophecy does not happen uh, as it did in the times of the Old and New Testament because the canon, C-A-N-O-N, the the totality of Scripture has been closed, um, and God speaks to us through The Bible now, Um, does that mean that the gift of prophecy has gone away? I don't. I don't think so. Uh, I don't think conservative theologians would say so. I think that it's changed. In other words, nothing that I would ever say to you, um, saying, "Well, God says this," would ever carry the the amount of weight that Scripture carries ever. And I want to encourage us to to really be careful because there are some people who would say, oh yes, the Lord told me to tell you. I mean, I've heard that a thousand times. The Lord told me to tell you. First of all, if what someone is telling me, the Lord told them or laid on their heart to tell me in any way contradicts scripture, then it is not from the Lord because God will not contradict himself. He will not contradict his word. One of the things that, um, J.I. Packer says, and knowing God, this is this is so, so rich to me. He says, the basic form of divine guidance, therefore, is the presentation to us of positive ideals as guidelines for all of our living. Be the kind of person that Jesus was. Seek this virtue and this one and this and practice them up to the limit. Know your responsibilities, husbands to your wives, wives to your husbands, parents to your children, all of you. To all your fellow Christians and to all your fellow human beings, know them and seek strength constantly to discharge them. This is how God guides us through the Bible, as any student of the Psalms, the Proverbs, the Prophets, the Sermon on the Mount, and the ethical parts of the epistles will soon discover. The Psalms tell us to turn from evil and do good. This is the highway along which the Bible is concerned to lead us, and all its admonitions are concerned to keep us on it. Be it noted that the reference to being led by the Spirit in Romans 8:14 relates not to inward voices or to any such experience, but to mortifying known sin and not living after the flesh. Packer says, "Only within the limits of this guidance does God prompt us inwardly in matters of vocational decision. So never expect to be aided to marry an unbeliever or elope with a married person as long as 1 Corinthians 7:39 and the seventh commandment stand." The present writer Packer, speaking of himself, has known divine guidance to be claimed for both courses of action. Inward inclinations were undoubtedly present, but they were quite certainly not from the Spirit of God, for they went against the Word. The Spirit leads within the limits which the Word sets, not beyond them. The psalmist says, He guides me in the paths of righteousness, but not anywhere else. Quote. So, so the idea is this— you know, there may be times when the Lord lays it upon my heart to share something with you, some sort of encouraging word or, or some word of admonition. Often in my life, that happens within the context of a mentoring relationship or a counseling relationship. Uh, you know, if a couple comes to me and says, our marriage is in shambles and here's what's going on in our life, um, my job at that point is not to tell them what I think they should do or what I think the problem might be, but to apply Scripture. I'm going to apply what God has said to their relationship and say, this is where you're in violation of God's Word, and it's not going to work out. Doesn't matter how hard you try at it, it's not going to work out as long as you continue to violate God's Word. So the gift of prophecy, yes, still exists, and I think that, that absolutely people can certainly have things laid on their heart to share uh, with others, but... Nothing that we perceive to be laid on our heart by the Lord carries the same authority or weight as Scripture, and if it in any way contradicts the Bible, then it is not from the Lord, and we need to be very careful with that.
0: That makes me think of Deuteronomy 13, where it gives the requirements for a prophecy to be believed. It says, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives a sign or a wonder, and the sign or a wonder they tells you comes to pass— And then if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. So I've always thought that it's interesting that it says, well, there might be a prophecy that's given that comes to pass. But if he tells you to go against what the Bible says, he's a false prophet. He's not real.
1: Well, and in the last days, the Bible says in Revelation that there will be those who come and, and do great works and show great signs, but they're deceptive. This is why it's so important that believers read the Bible. I never want anybody to turn on WBKO and say, well, Jeff said it, so it must be true. That is such a dangerous thing. I am not the authority. No preacher is the authority. Almighty God is the authority, and he has spoken to us through his word. So it's so dangerous when we don't know what God's word says that we make ourselves susceptible to false teachers. And I'm going to tell you something. Just because a preacher or a church, or a movement can draw a crowd does not mean that it is of the Lord. You gotta be very careful. And what I would say to anyone about my own messages or my own teachings is square everything I say with the Bible. And if the Bible and I ever disagree, I'm wrong. And if the Bible and I disagree and I'm emphatic that I'm right and the Bible's wrong, First Baptist Church should absolutely fire me immediately but I, I would encourage you to be careful what you listen to and what you take as authoritative because there are so many people uh, who seek to distort the truth. And if you don't know what God's Word says, then the best you can do is trust the person who tells you God's Word says this. That's what was so amazing about the invention of the printing press. That The, the invention of the printing press and the timing of the Protestant Reformation coincided because... People were able to read the Bible for themselves, yep. and they didn't just listen to what the priest told them because that's all they could do beforehand. So they were able to read their Bibles and say, wait a minute, there's some things that are not lining up here. So uh, please read your Bible. That's
0: just, that's the admonition. Please read your Bible. Amen. And that takes us right into our listener question for today. Listeners, if you have a question, just go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below. So Jeff, What is the best Bible translation? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So, clearly...
1: Um, I would be giving my opinion here, but I'm, I'm a little bit of a nerd. Everybody knows that. Particularly when it comes to talking about Bible translations, I am fascinated by this. Um, we know that the Bible was written originally in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, and so everything that we have in English is a translation. Right. Um, there are three basic categories of translations— really two translations and then a third category that we'll talk about. The first category is called formal equivalency. It is a word-for-word translation. So the most basic formal equivalency translation is what are called interlinear Bibles, where you have the original language and every single word is translated underneath the original language word. What you learn is that Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek are very different in their syntax and structure from English. So a simple example might be, you know, in English, we say the brown dog ran to the big store. Um, In Greek, they might say ran the dog, brown, to the store that was big, right? So when you read that word for word in English, it, it, it doesn't flow well, right? So a formal equivalence translation is going to translate each word and then try to phrase it in a way that makes sense in the English language. Um, Some examples, and and this is working from the strictest of formal equivalence to a, a looser formal equivalence, but the New American Standard Bible the ESV which we use here at First Baptist Church, the Revised Standard Version, the King James Version, the New King James Version, the Holman Christian Standard Bible or what is now simply called the Christian Standard Bible, the NRSV and the New American Bible, those would all be formal equivalents. What they're trying to do is translate it word for word, put it in English that is understandable and stay as close as they can to the original language. Then the next category is called dynamic equivalence or functional equivalence. This is more of a thought-for-thought translation or an idiomatic translation. Um, The NIV is really the best example of this, or the, the TNIV, today's New International Version. The NIV set out to make the Bible accessible and readable and understandable in English to the degree that instead of trying to translate every single word. They tried to translate every single thought. I love the NIV. I think it's a great translation. Used it for years. I was a big fan of the NIV 1984. A lot of the Bible verses that I have memorized, I memorized in the NIV um, because that was the translation that I used in high school and in college. The danger with a with a dynamic equivalence is the more you get away from a word for word translation, the more you're leaning on the interpretation of the translators. So they have to take that, that thought, that idiomatic expression, and say, well, this is what this means in English. So you're adding in a little bit more interpretation. So the question then becomes, can I trust the translators? Right? Well, I think for the NIV, we can. All right. The third category is called a paraphrase. This is less of a translation and more of a paraphrasing of what the Bible says. So, so the New Living Translation, or the Living Bible, or on the furthest end of the spectrum, the message. You, know, you might wonder why the message has a human author listed, Eugene Peterson. I think Eugene Peterson's phenomenal. He's with the Lord now, very thankful for his ministry, and I love the message, but a paraphrase is just that. It is the translator or translators paraphrasing large portions of Scripture and restating them in English. That's why the message has Eugene Peterson's name on it, because you're getting what Eugene Peterson thinks the Bible is saying. My personal favorite translation is the ESV, the English Standard Version. It's formal equivalence, and the thing I appreciate about the ESV is that it's very readable and... Just from a purely cosmetic perspective, Psalm 23 in the ESV follows the same pattern as Psalm 23 in the King James Version, and everybody knows that that's the way it ought to be read. Of course. Which Bible translation is the best? I would say within those that I've mentioned, you know, the NASB, ESV, uh, King James, New King James, Christian Standard Bible, those are all good. I like the NIV. Um, I'm a big fan of the message. But again, you have to know what you're reading. And so the further away you get from formal equivalence, word for word translation, the more translator interpretation you're getting.
0: Thank you, Jeff. That I, I didn't know all of that about all of those translations. That's really helpful for moving forward. Do you mind praying us out for today? Yes, sir.
1: Lord, your word is true and you have spoken to us. We thank you for all that you have done to reveal yourself to us. You didn't have to. You could have left us in the dark. You could have left us to our own sin, our own suffering, our own shame, but you didn't. You have come. You have come to us through the Word made flesh to dwell among us, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, through whom we have the most perfect revelation of Almighty God. But you have also spoken to us through your Word, We're thankful that Jesus affirms your word, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We thank you for those who wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, that you breathed out the words of Scripture through the individual writing styles and, and syntax and personalities and circumstances of those who were commissioned by you to write your word. And so, Lord, let us receive your word by faith. Let us read it every day. Let us become acquainted with your teachings. And let us not only read the Bible, but as James would exhort us, let us do what it says. Father, we love you. We trust you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley.